The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. The whole goal of it is for us to think about how do we begin to be people who build into strong relationships, whether, whether newly married, whether on our way to being married, whether dating not even close to, all of us are usually are called we're in some ways to, 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 we're drawn into relationships, and yet relationships are often places of great confusion, great, sometimes great heartache, but also incredible joy. Um, but how, so how do we begin to build in a trajectory that sets us up for, um, for success, to make it to last, to not hope that it's just going to simply disintegrate as soon as we get there. And, and the thesis that we've been working on is this, is that we, and partly, if we're going to do dating well, if we're going to do marriage well, we have to begin to be thinking about the goal beyond the goal, that we can't expect too much of dating or too much of marriage Things that really it, we never should be expecting uh, it to do. Things that only God can do in our lives. And so we've been, we kicked off a, a, a number of weeks ago. And we've heard from uh, Mike Gaffney and Dave and Sarah. And, and uh, last week, uh, uh, of course, Mike Gaffney was here. He cracked open this whole idea of it, kind of special, a couple weeks on sexuality. Because sexuality is right in the midst of this. It's part of it. It's not all of it, but it's part of it. So he began to, to kind of bust some myths that a lot of times we can get kind of captured in around, uh, especially uh, around this area of how we engage with one another. And so his whole thing was about celebrating uh, sexuality without centering on it. Well, I, I, I immediately started, you know, thinking of, of this trip that I was on. I, went, I was over in Europe a number of years ago and took a, an opportunity to travel with some guys and we went over... Uh, I, I can't remember if it's Norway or Sweden. I'm sorry, I just didn't, I just didn't get around to, to looking at the park up. But I started looking at, looking at this particular park, and it's this whole park that was dedicated. In some ways, I just went to this place because it was dedicated you know, to the human body and to the human endeavor and to, in some ways, celebrating our sexuality. And I just remember uh, g- being there, and I was thinking, yeah, wow, that was an experience. Um, it was a whole park just full of these naked bodies, just everywhere. And I just, my friend and I, you know, we... We were there, we were wandering around, we were taking it in, you know, appreciating it for the art that it was, and uh, we ended up getting inspired, of course, you know, to celebrate our own uh, male sexuality, and just, you know, feeling it, just like, yeah, we're out there, felt great. Uh, yeah, I'm going to linger on that for a little bit, for all of you to, yeah, I actually was tucky, pulling in my jacket, I don't know what I was thinking at that point, but... You know, we're, we're immature, to be honest, and you can only handle so much of this. Eventually, it just gets awkward. And so, you know, finally, just, <laughs> what are we doing? This is just weird. It just feel, doesn't feel right. And so, um, anyways, you know, we, we, we begin to think about how do we kind of get into this? How do we begin to think about celebrating? So, Gaff just opened it up, but we want to begin to move forward a little bit and think about how do we make some uh, decisions, how do we begin to navigate what is often such a tricky uh, and, and complicated thing? It, you know, oftentimes I think when we begin to think about relationships, it seems like it should be somewhat simple, and yet often it's, it's full of all kinds of dichotomies, isn't it? it, it it's this, on one hand, we say, you know, there's this, uh, you know, it's private, it's our choice, we, we want to hold on to that. You know, it's this matter, it's this thing that doesn't really matter that much, and yet sometimes it matters tons. It's, it's fun. And, and yet there's another side of it when we realize that it's, it actually is incredibly hurtful sometimes. It, it wrecks havoc. It's, uh, 
we can be uncomfortable. We're in this uncomfortable place. And so sometimes we even talk about it in this sort of uh, split way. So the way is, how do, how do we begin to think about moving forward? Well, of course, all the, um, the answers really lie in, in the, the Bible, of course, which is just this. One thing, the only thing you need to know is just keep a Bible between you, right? And you'll be okay. If you're feeling good, you can turn this way. If you're, not, you're a space invader, you can turn it this way. Just keep the Bible between you. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, why did I come tonight? Well, it's not that easy, of course, is it? And yet, the Scripture does guide us to begin to think, how do we engage with one another? But it, it, here's the thing, it's not, gonna, it's, it's not a simple matter of just kind of yes, or, kind of yes no, or even, or even rules necessarily that we can set up around us. It is a matter that Paul is going to take on as he talks to the Corinthians, and it's a matter of holding attention. We love to not have attention, but it is a matter if we are to build to strength. It's a matter of holding attention that, that centers on this linchpin that he's going to set up uh, for his friends in, in Corinth around identity. So if you, have your, if you have your Bibles, would you open to 1 Corinthians? Uh, you can flip through 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 6, and we're going to be again in verse 12. You can look up on the screen uh, as well. We're going to kind of sit in a passage that some of you may have heard before, and some of you haven't, and yet it, it, it's, it's packed for us. Um, it's not going to spell out every eventuality for us, but it is going to, I think, set up for us as people who are adults, not kids. We're not kids. We don't need to be told what to do. But as adults to think about how do I move into places of health, life versus death or perhaps dysfunction? Let me pray for us before we get in uh, to God's word. Lord, we do thank you that uh, your word is living and active that the same Holy Spirit that inspired these scriptures is, is, the, is your spirit that is alive um, in us today. So Lord, we pray that wherever we are at, that you would speak into our hearts, that you would illuminate what we need to hear, and Lord, whatever uh, we seem to let go, and we let go, Lord, will you show us what you have for us, that um, there might be a new thing that would happen in our lives, even, even tonight. Lord, we pray this all in your name. Uh, amen. Well, let me, let me just read through, and then, and then we're going we're gonna to kind of go back through it. So I'm going to begin in verse 12. You can read along with me if you like. This is 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything food for the stomach and stomach for the food but god will destroy them both the body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the lord and the lord for the body by this the power of god raised the lord from the dead and he will raise us also do you not know that your bodies are members of christ himself shall then take the members of christ and unite them with a prostitute never do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body for it is said, the two will become one flesh. Of course, he's, he's, he's quoting back, he's remembering uh, the very beginning of Genesis. There. But he who, he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man, commit, man or a woman commits outside his or her body. But the one who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who 
whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Well, here's the deal. Let me, if we go to that, that's, uh, that, the next uh, picture. On that trip, we actually went to Corinth. And so as I begin to read this passage, I begin immediately to think of, uh, of, of that place. This is a picture from ancient Corinth. It was destroyed a number of years ago, which actually allowed the old city to become excavated. And they begin to realize that there's actually, we can look at ancient Corinth. And so they, the, the city developed in another, in another area a few miles off. And so now you can walk around ancient Corinth because they begin to excavate it. This is actually, I believe, the Temple of Apollo. Here's the deal about Corinth. Corinth is this fascinating city because Corinth is, is the center of all trade. I mean, in some ways, it's not real different from Seattle. It, it's, in this, it's in this place where uh, there's cultures that are mixing like crazy. See, it's, a, it's on this little tiny sliver of land in which trade would flow from the east to the west on its, on its way to, to Rome. It was one of the, the largest and most important cities in the empire of Rome simply just because of where it's at. Two separate harbors. It's this little strip of land, two separate harbors would feed into it. And because of that, it was just an incredible, sort of vibrant and rich city. Large city, important city. It, it, it was a, a city, though, that was actually full of temples, in part because of the mix. You had so many different people coming in. Uh, they, they were bound to mix stuff up. Now, it was rich, it was wealthy, there was a lot going on. It was also known as an incredibly immoral city. As you were to look around Corinth, Everywhere you would look, it was filled with temples. Temples for, uh, of one another. For, there, there's Apollo here. I mean, there, a number of the Greek gods, they, they found uh, temples that were set up, including a temple to the emperor in, in which the people were, were called in a sense to, to give a sacrifice, to honor or to worship the emperor. Well, one of those temples was situated right on the top of that mountain that you can see behind there. That's called the Acrocorinth. It, 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 it's it, it's actually it's like 1,800 feet high. It, let me go to the, let's go to that next slide. You can get up on the top. Look at it. Look at those guys. Isn't that nice? It's a horrible picture, but look, this is the deal. You can see that you can see for miles. It's like the only thing that is that high for miles around. And so you can go around. You can look from all over. It's imposing. And so at different moments in history, actually, you would build fortifications up there. And so that's how they were able to defend off invaders. But on the top of the Acrocorinth, it was a temple to Aphrodite. Small temple, but a powerful temple. Aphrodite, of course, is the goddess of fertility, the goddess of beauty. And at that time, there was over a thousand slaves, prostitutes that were connected to that temple. It was in part because of the temple of Aphrodite and these other temples that Corinth became a very, very rich place. Whatever you wanted in Corinth, you could get. Whatever you think that you needed, whatever you lacked, you could go and you could either buy it or you could acquire it or you could go to a temple and pray to a particular God for it. It was the place where you could get whatever you wanted. And certainly when it came to things like sexuality or, or, or some sense of need to engage with the divine, oftentimes you know, ritual prostitution was more about, it was an act of worship as much as it was uh, a particularly sexual act. You could get it. Whatever you wanted, you could get. They were there to sell you 
the good consumer, what you needed. Well, you develop, there's this mentality, and it's a mentality that Paul has to, to, to fight that is bled into the church. It's this mentality that you need to acquire something. You're lacking in some way, but don't worry, we have a God for that. And if as long as you just come to us, then we can get you what you need. We can make you right with a particular deity uh, if things are going wrong in a particular area of life. Whatever you needed, you could get. Well, that bled into the church. And so how it bled into the church is that the church was consumed with acquiring. Consumed with trying to build themselves up. And so they got captured. They, they, they came to Christ, but they soon got captured by things like status and power. And then on a spiritual sense, they got, they got uh, uh, captured by this idea that only if I can have the, kind of the right sort of wisdom, then I will be better than other people. If I can have the right kind of spiritual experiences, then I will be better than other people. They looked... It, it, Paul battled with them again and again because you would have sort of superstars that would come through that would look great, that would sound great, that would say, hey, look, I can promise you the perfect life in which everything goes well for you if you just kind of follow me. By the way, I need you to pay me a little something too along the way for the privilege of of opening that up to you. Paul always was having to to, to battle with that. What it meant is that it, it it was a town of people who were fractured, fractured in part because they were always trying to get something to somehow uh, make themselves better than other people, but fractured too, because there was always this, this idea that we've talked about, kind of a, uh, this Gnosticism, which is this idea that still lives today. It was more of a, it was, the Gnostic movement hadn't really totally gotten going yet, but it was kind of, the, it was beginning to feed into this idea of your, what's going on in the spiritual realm matters and what goes on with your body doesn't matter. It was a fundamental split, and so people lived a fractured life. So what you had in the church of Corinth was you had people who were running after all kinds of spiritual experiences. Very, very, very spiritual, very religious people. But people for whom it made no difference in their life at all. So you begin to realize you have people who are very, very, very spiritual. And yet in chapter 5, you know, they're actually celebrating that, hey, you know, it doesn't really matter. You can do whatever you want, but what's going on with the body doesn't matter. So, you know, if, you know, if incest really doesn't matter, if you want to sleep with your mom, great. We're cool with that. It's like, what? what? What it mattered was, is that, hey, there's no sense of reconciliation between people because we're all, we're all about the spiritual experience. And so you have people who are going at each other, Christians who are going at each other in the law courts. And Paul's like, are you kidding me? They're like, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's just earthly crap, you know. Go on. And so they're battling out, and it's embarrassing. In the very law courts of the city, the Christians are, are going after each other. And then there's this, this, this general sense of a, of, a, of a sexuality that was fractured, that had nothing to do necessarily with this Jesus that Paul had come to introduce, introduce to them. Their, their lives were chaotic. When he begins to speak into this, when Paul begins to say, okay, I've got to somehow pull these people back together. I want to speak of sexuality in general. I can't, I can't but imagine that he's thinking about that temple. Because that temple represented a constant reminder for him and for the people there of their identity. And what Paul is going to do is he's going to hit, hit this directly as he begins to, to pull together this image of a temple in which... That's where you find love. 
a temple that defines your sexuality, he begins to say, I want to make you move from people who are fractured, people who are disconnected, people who are trying to always acquire something to somebody who operates in a to- out of a totally different place. So we're going to look at three things. And the first really, in some ways, is the most important. is Paul is saying, I want you to live integrated. I want you to live integrated. And, and I, what I want to do is I want to jump right into the middle. If you have your Bibles, I want to jump right into the middle of this passage in which Paul, in, in verse 19, says, Look, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know? And he's saying, do you not know? Because they should have heard by this point, but they had somehow totally forgotten. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. What you do with your body matters. It has implications. He takes them back to Genesis. He says, okay, look, remember what your body is for. Remember what this act is for. It means something, it communicates something, it has implications. It's not just kind of, you know, this sort of hormonal response, and it's great. No, it has connections, and we know that. And yet, sometimes we just think, well, it's just kind of my body, I just do this, but it doesn't really affect anything else. He says, no, it's intimately connected. And especially with the whole act of intercourse, the whole point of that is actually to connect you into intimacy with one another. That the two become one flesh. Man and woman, in the act of intercourse, there's a sense of the two becoming one flesh. You're joined. And he can say, don't you understand? God is not up there. God is not on the top of that mountain for you to somehow appease and then have a brief encounter with it through a prostitute or through something else. God is in you. He makes this point. He goes, if God, God is in you, and, it, and if when you join with another person... Uh, you're connecting with him, then what you're doing is you're connecting Christ to a prostitute. Think about that. So he's not laying a bunch of rules down. He's beginning to say, let's just pull back and think about the rationale on this. Now, the point of this, in some ways, is to, is to highlight the contrast that, was, that, that came out of the fracture of these people's lives. Because it's easy to just sort of kind of have these disconnections in our lives. And what he's saying, look, is what you're putting together is a dehumanizing moment in which sex is for sale. It's, it, it, there's no faithfulness behind it. There's no real love behind it. And you're putting it right smack together with the God who is all about faithfulness, who is all about love, who is all about covenant, that he will give himself to you, everything to you. And you're putting that right next door to something that is... How can those two go together? They don't. See, what Paul's trying to do, and what I want for us is that sometimes when we get talking about uh, this stuff, we get fractured in some ways. And and it's because it's hard to hold together attention. Sometimes what we do is we clamp down really hard on our sexuality. And and what can happen is that we either get really frustrated or there's part of us that just gets closed off. Or we just sort of say, you know, hey, it's fine, that was, those are the old days, it doesn't really matter, and so it's just kind of this laissez-faire thing. It doesn't matter what you do with your body. Both of them really are a fundamental mistake with how we view ourselves. But Paul says, I want to hold together, I want to push you to a value, because actually Paul is all about freedom. We'll, we'll see, we'll look at that in a second. Paul is all about freedom. He said, I'm going to push you to a value, a value that's going to help you make good decisions. That's what I want to do for us. I want to throw out a number of values, and I want you to think about values Versus rules. Now, rules, guidelines, boundaries, all that stuff is important, but you've got to start with values. It's actually what Jesus does, if you, if you think about this. 
See, it's really easy to actually set up a rule and then follow the rule, but, but break the value. Pharisees did this all the time. That's why Jesus is on their case like crazy. It's also easier to, to set up a rule and really miss the spirit of a particular value. And this is actually what's going on in the Sermon on the Mount, for instance. So that Jesus would say, you've heard, for instance, uh, don't murder. Everyone goes, yeah, I haven't murdered. It's great. And he's, and he's going, yeah, that's fine. But let me tell you this. The whole, that, that's easy. That, that, rules, rules are low bar. Here's the value. I don't want you to be consumed and captured by hatred. Get it? So don't even hate your brother. You're in danger of the fire of hell. Don't fool yourself to think that just because you kind of have this low bar value or this low bar rule that, hey, I didn't murder anybody, you could still be a person who is consumed. You're not free. You're consumed. You're not living right. You're not living a sense of righteousness. You're living a legalistic life that's sucking the life out of you because you're consumed by hate and yet you think it's okay. Same thing, it goes with adultery. None of, us, none of us like that. He goes, anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. Don't think that it's just not having sex with somebody is adultery. And all of us are like, holy smokes. You've got to be kidding me, Jesus. Like, I can't even follow that. The whole point is this. Look, it's not enough to just say, well, I haven't slept with someone. It's to say, don't, let, don't be consumed. Don't be chained. Don't dehumanize somebody. Because you're thinking it doesn't matter, and yet you're totally just trying to possess that person in your mind. This is male or female. We end up possessing people in our minds. That's what lust is, is ultimately about. That person doesn't become more real to us. We're not on, there's no sense of honoring with it. It's a sense of simply, I'm trying to acquire something about that person. So values are these things that can help us begin to, to point to actually guide us as we go along because we cannot develop rules to fit every situation. We are called away from that in Christ. Here's, the, here's some of the value that's going on here. As he says, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. One, that you are designed for intimacy. As we think about our sexual lives, and this is whether we're married, this is... Just because you're married, by the way, doesn't mean that all this goes away. You are designed for intimacy. And our sexuality, Mike talked on this a little bit before, our sexuality is to, is to draw us into a place of intimate connection with other people. And we have to view us, this as not a fractured person, but as, as, as a whole person. Because here's what we do. We think, well, okay, look, if I want to celebrate sexuality, it means that if I'm not having sex, then that... For, that that means I can't celebrate sexuality. So we think sexuality is all about intercourse. It's like, no, that's a small, small part of who we are as we think about engaging with one another in, in the bodies that we have and with the desires that we have. And so we are called to work out a sense of connecting into intimacy. So whatever we begin to think, so if we think of a value, if, if sex is simply... Just to get something or simply a reaction. I mean, this is, it, it, we're designed to draw closer to someone, not further away from someone. So draw us into intimacy. I was listening on the radio and I, you know, I was, um, this song, I don't know, I didn't, I could break down the song, but you know, Jane's Addiction, someone, I was listening to, uh, the song Jane says, 
And this line has always caught me. I don't know, it's always popped out whenever I heard it on the radio. And they go like this. As Jane says, I've never been in love. I don't know what it is. I only know, only know if someone wants her. I want them if they want me. I only know, but I only know if they want me. And there's a sense of, I don't know what love is because it, my sexuality has been fractured from who I am. I just don't know what love is. And some of us, one of the things that we need to begin to start to do is to begin to realize that, that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, which means that the sacred is not out there, but that the Holy Spirit is in us and is in the person next to us so that when we interact with another person, we're walking on holy ground. We begin to, when we begin to pull, start to pull these things together, see, some of us don't know what it's like to be wanted for anything other than our sexuality or what, we, or, our, or what we can offer somebody sexually. Some of us are just attracted to other people, but we, we don't know how to connect on any other level beyond sort of a physical level. And we're, if we're going to be able to move towards strength at all, we've got to begin to pull, somehow pull this together to be able to say, well, I have been given everything. I don't need to acquire anything. The Holy Spirit is in me. I am sacred ground. The, person, the people that I interact with, sacred ground. Uh, it's cheeky, but just uh, follow me for a second. Sometimes I think how we interact with one another is we, we treat each other like 7-Eleven. Or we view ourselves as 7-Eleven. Come and get what you want. I'm going to come and get what I want, and then I'm gone. Because really, you're just about giving me something that I need. Or my only value is because I can offer something that you need. And that's not male or female. That, that's both. We need to begin to start to move and say, who can I be as a person? How can I learn to begin to, to move towards intimacy? And that, can look like, and that looks like anything from a hand on the shoulder to how we engage with one another, to, to, to not being afraid of our sexuality and our feelings, to learning how to control it, to begin to pull ourselves together as a whole person. Well, on either side of this are, are two things that sometimes I think are in contrast with one another. And, and, it, and the first one is this. The first is, is that you would live free. And I want to go back to the beginning. Paul begins by saying this. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but, not ev- but I will be mastered by none. See, Paul's going to take on their arguments head on because they think, and they probably heard from Paul because Paul is all about pushing against some stuff that doesn't matter and he's about freedom. He could have even said this in a particular context, but now it's taken out of context. Everything is permissible for me. Everything is permissible. So I, I, I have freedom. One of the things I want, to, I want to say is that you are. You are free. At the end of the day, you are free. You are free to do whatever you want. And you do. Let's be honest. You do whatever you want. The question is, where's the motivation and how's it going? I mean, this, see, this is the games we play. Sometimes, well, you know, not really free. Just do what the Bible says. And, you know, see, here I was actually at it last week and I was at, listening to a preacher. And he was talking about, you know, couples coming to him and saying, listen, uh, I know the Bible says don't sleep together before you get married. But what do you, what do you say? Right? We play these games. Well, what is it that, you know, uh, we're free. We do whatever we want. The question is, 
How are you going to use that freedom? Paul says, yeah, I'm free, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is going to lead me into a healthy place. Not as everything is going to lead me into a place where I, I, I treat others like they are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Not everything, by the way, I, I can do anything, but by the way, I'm not going to be mastered by anything. And, and there's actually a wordplay that's going on here. It talks about power. I have power over everything, but I will not be, I will not have something of power over me. Freedom is a funny word, isn't it? We love freedom. We love freedom. We, we, we love to use it and, and we love to throw it around and we love to say, well, it's me, it's my choice and I get to choose and all this kind of stuff. We go on and on and on and on. But the question is, you're always serving to some end. So the, but what end are you serving? And for some of us, we are absolutely chained and bound because we feel helpless behind uh, uh, desires or the expectations of other people. We're bound. But we call it Freedom. Because, well, I should be able to do whatever I want. But at the end of the day, if you're real honest, you know that you're mastered by something. You're addicted to it. Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. He pushes on and says, look, the body is meant for the Lord, not for sexual immorality. In other words, here's what's true about us. We are physical beings. We have desires. We have chemicals, we have hormones that drive us, uh, that, that drive us and push us to a, a certain end. The end of who we are, though, is not orgasm. The end of who we are is not physical stimulation. That's a small view of you, not a large view. You, you are bigger than that. So sometimes we get in situations, and I know that what people want is, sometimes they, they go, I know I'm not doing something, this isn't healthy, so I need someone to yell at me to tell me what to do. Or, or I want you to give me a bunch of really strict boundaries that will protect me, because this, this, this urge, these urges inside of me, these desires inside of me, that they're so powerful, I don't know what to do with them. So just, you know, this is why I'm not a fan of, don't never kiss me before you get engaged. Because in some ways, it's an advocation of responsibility. And here's what I want from you, for you. I want you to learn how to master your desires. I want you to learn how to master and control and guide your urges and your sexuality and who you are as a bodily person into a place of health, into a place that drives you into intimacy, into a place that drives you not to be a fractured person, but a whole person. I want you to have ownership over who you are. And so you are free. At the end of the day, what it comes to is to, is to say, look, we know that... Scripture says that there's an end in mind, that we don't... Sex isn't simply just to procreate, and it isn't simply just to uh, fulfill some sort of need, that it, it, it does something, it, that it interacts with our soul, and that it can actually drive us towards God, that, that, that it can be an unbelievably healing and bonding thing. That only belongs in the context of marriage where there can be that, that, the protection around the power of that. But then outside of that, you're free. So when it means you're free, it means that now you have the responsibility to begin to say, with those that I am engaged with, that I'm dating, how do I operate in such a way that I honor the other person? That I, that I honor the Lord with my body, that I move to a, a place of wholeness and completeness. So it means I'm going to have to talk with the 
the person I'm dating and say, okay, what kind of boundaries are we going to draw? Because there's a, certain, there's a point of no return, so we, we're going to have to draw some boundaries. But let's talk about this. Where, what is too far for you? What makes you uncomfortable? Because I'm not here to simply satisfy me. You're not here so that I can acquire something. I'm here to serve you. I have the Holy God in me. I don't have to go anywhere. It's actually flowing out of me. So how can we begin to set up boundaries? Now, those are awkward conversations. Guaranteed. Right? Any of you that have... I love that there's a you know, muffled laugh. Oh, I've had one of those. Two of those. I've had those. They're weird. They're weird to bring out. Nobody wants to admit it. And yet, but that's about becoming an adult. That's about us. And there's lots of adults that aren't adults in this, in this realm. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to head into it to begin to own up and say, Here, here's the feelings that I have. How are we going to draw boundaries around us that will, that will protect it so that sexuality doesn't go out of control, but that it's guided to um, a good end. The other side of this, of course, is that this is the opportunity for you to begin to, within the context of freedom, to learn what, is, what does it look like to give and to receive love, to, to, to begin to, to show affection to another person, to, to, to be okay with who you are, to be an attractive person, to, to begin to experiment about it. Because it, it, like it, it doesn't happen just automatically. One of the tragedies is sometimes we shut this down because we're so afraid of it. And then when we, then we get married, what happens is that we don't know what to do with it anymore. It doesn't turn on because we've silenced it for so long. Well, the answer is don't just go out there and practice, 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 practice with everybody so that, I mean, it's a total fallacy on the other end to go, well, we just got to practice and see if we really like having sex together. And then somehow, then that's going to set us up for a great sex life and marriage. That's garbage too. The question is, I've got to begin to learn, though, how do I control myself? And by the way, you guys, if you can't do this when you're married, if you can't do this when you're dating, don't think it's going to change when you get married. Don't think the temptations are going to go away when you get married. They don't. I'm sorry to say that. I wish I could. You can ask any married guy who's honest. <laughs> they don't. So at some point you have to begin to learn how to say, okay, how do, I, how do I view an attractive person? I'm free. How do I, not somebody else tells me what to do, how do I view an attractive person and say, attractive, I'm not going to lust. You've got to start doing that now because it's not going to change as you get older. It's building towards strength. Connect, uh, opposite side, opposite tension is this. You are free. You can do what you want, whether it's good for you or not, whether it helps, is redemptive or not. The other side of this is live as somebody who has been bought. Live integrated, live free, live bought. The very end, it's just a small point, but Paul says this. He says, your temple, the Holy Spirit. And he says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Here's the tension. And it, the tension is that we are free. At the same time, it, we have to realize that pushing against some myths. And a couple of myths are these. One, first, let's just put on individualism. This idea of whatever I do with my body, that's all that matters. It's just me. It's an individual choice. Well, that's just garbage. It's just not true. Are you free? Yes. Do you have agency? Yes. 
And yet, to have this idea that our sexuality, or what we do with our sexuality, somehow is this individual decision that isn't connected, that somehow doesn't have repercussions on other people. It's just—it's this funny dichotomy that we live with. We champion that we should be able to do whatever we want and however it feels, and 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 which is not freedom. It's just like, well, she was hot, so I just nailed her, right? And we celebrate that. It's on TV all the time. Or I, I slept with him. Well, it's, I got carried away. I slept with him. That's not freedom. That's enslavement. But the other side is we talk again and again. So it's, it, it, it's, it's great until somebody gets caught and then you realize, well, it actually ruins their, their, their careers and, and there's impacts on their families. And some of you in here know what the impacts are. That there are people who are harmed. That there are, because it's not simply a physical thing. It, it does something to our, our souls. So we go back to the sense of integrated. We all remember our first kiss. There's lots of other bodily functions that you don't remember the first time on, right? But somehow we remember our first kiss because it pulls on our, it pulls on who we are, and our on our emotions. So it pushes us against the sense that you're bought. It pushes on the sense of of individualism. Now is the time to begin to realize that it is not just about you. I mean, some of the some of the tragedies when you begin to read about. And unfortunately, it tends to be a lot of guys that hit the headlines. These guys that have gotten caught in affairs, and it's like there's this weird self-consumed individualism. Why? It just needed to be about me. And it's this funny thing. I really love my kids. And so I decided I needed to have an affair and run off with a nanny. Right? But I love my kids. If you love your kids, then stay with with the mom and work it out. You're doing damage because you're chasing after, um, you're chasing after this idea of an individualism that doesn't exist. The second is this: is that we seem to be addicted to the easy. I think, and I, I hear this, and I, I actually, I mean, this, we all are in this, and this is the thing, because we have to have a lot of grace in this while we push towards a place of real life. We're addicted to the easy, though, aren't we? So we always talk about what's kind of the easiest thing. Well, you know, it just wasn't, you know, it just wasn't uh, convenient. So we got in a situation, and then when we got in this situation, you know, we got into trouble. And so it says we kind of go by whatever's easiest or whatever's cheapest. Or and this comes up with all the time. Where it's like, well, we just moved in together just because it's just kind of the easiest and cheapest thing to do. Know that the Bible really doesn't support that, or that you know, now we're sleeping together. I know it's not really that big of a deal, but, you know, it's just the easiest and cheapest thing. But think about that. Do you really want the most important relationship of your life to be based on what is easiest and cheapest? Seriously? What are you going to tell your wife when you go home later? Well, the thing is that the secretary was just all over me, and I didn't want to be mean. <laughs> and it was just kind of an awkward situation, so it's just easy, you know. Of course not. There is, you have been bought with a price, which we all know that anything that is worth it is, is worth sacrificing for. It, it is worth, at some point, and this comes with our sexuality, that we are not entitled just to follow every urge that we have. At some point, there will be moments for all of us in which we have to say no. No. It's hard, but no. Christ died on the cross not because it was easy or convenient, but because it was the best for you. Because He loves you. 
The story of Scripture is about a God who does not go for the easy and convenient, but goes for love, time and time again. Being bought with a price, though, also means that our forgiveness has been bought and is secure in Christ. In this area, we are going to have moments in which it's going to be difficult, in which we're going to stumble, in which we're going to feel like, ah, oh, that wasn't the best, in which we're not going to do it quite right. We have forgiveness. And we have to give ourselves grace. Part of that is that when we do stumble, and this goes for any kind of sin whatsoever, but when we do stumble and we go, that isn't what I know that I wasn't supposed to do, I know I did damage, it is to quickly confess that to a community of people around us. That we'll talk at certain times about how do you develop places of community where I can be known, where people can ask me and support me and say and push me not to the easiest thing, but to, to be the very best person that we can be. I appreciated that a while ago, I was actually meeting with a friend of mine. I was talking about a, a situation, it was a time of life that was, that was pretty difficult and um, a lot that was going on and, and, and we were, were good friends we've been walking for a while and, and he said you know uh, you attracted to anything right now? is your eye wandering right now? and it wasn't but it was a great question and I, I love that he asked me that because I would love for somebody at some point I'm not above I'm not above falling nobody is I love that I have a friend who would ask me that when it's just a thought, perhaps. Then down the line when I realize, oh man, I made a huge mistake that I really did not want to do. I also thought about this. This is an opportunity sometimes for some of you. I, I don't know how this would come down. You, you know your situations. But when Shannon and I were dating, we lived in separate cities. We lived in Belgium. I was in Bellingham. She was down here. We saw each other only on the weekends. And we had busy lives. Uh, we were driving back and forth. It was really hard to see each other. You know, a lot of times we were exhausted when we saw each other. Driving back and forth. So it means that we'd end up spending weekends. The weekends were the only time. Well, she's an hour away. She's not going to drive home every night. Right? Now we're talking about ease and inconvenience. What I appreciated so much is that I had friends who said, anytime that Shannon wants to stay at our place, she can so I got to hang out with Shannon all weekend long. But at the end of the night, Shannon got to go and stay with our friends. And for us, that was one of those things that that is a gift. It was a gift that helped us, help us to live into the best of who we wanted to be. And for some of you, if you've, maybe you know someone, I want, I want to challenge that if you have a friend and you know they're in, in a tight situation that puts them in, in, in a bad spot, you know, it's not that just because somebody stays over the night that somehow or they're sleeping on the couch or you get stuck in a situation or you get stuck in, in, in some place where you feel like, okay, I didn't want to be in this but suddenly I'm in this. doesn't mean it's all going to fall down but we can do our best to avoid it. And if you can be as a friend, if you can come and open up your house and say, hey, listen, I, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, they could stay with us anytime. That's just a tangible, easy way to be able to say, how can I come along and help you be sick Successful as much as you can. You guys, I told you when I started this when I started this uh, series, I was ambivalent because sometimes I think we overly focus on dating stuff, and it's and it's easy sometimes to go, well, 
you know, maybe even a group like this, it's all just about it's all just about dating. And so I've avoided that because the most important thing in your life is not that you're married or you're single, but it's that you are moving towards Christ. And yet, some of what God has done in my life is just is this passion that we would begin to get this right. That the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is not just about a spiritual experience, a worship experience. It is about creativity being released. It, it, it is about us being moved into a place of, of, of real influence and impact for the positive in our city. It is about marriages and relationships being placed on strong footing. And when God was speaking to me this one time, it was specifically in this area because there are so many relationships that are just not healthy. And we fall into them. But yet God wants to pour out His Spirit, not for just some ex- moment of ecstasy or moment of, of, in a sanctuary somewhere, but that your life would be coming to a place where it is healed, it is integrated, where the, the fractures begin to heal. You learn how to move into intimacy, even if it's the hardest thing in the world. There are people that are going around that know, that would identify with that song of Jane's addiction. I don't know what it's like to be loved, I just know what it's like to be wanted. And in Corinth, they're looking up on the hill and they are, every day, they're seeing this powerful symbol of a temple that says if you want to be fulfilled in romance and sexually, that you've got to give a cent up here. And yet we can be people who could tell a very different story. A very different story than Aphrodite of one, this goddess who is bored and so she goes and has cosmic flings all over the place of, of, of somehow having to engage with a prostitute. So we could tell a very different story. And it's stories that matter. People know what is right. They want to see a story that, that tells something different. They'll, they'll follow a story. They see enough people that just go after whatever they want. They'll believe that that's true. And yet we can be people who are temples of the Holy Spirit who begin to move in such a way in which we're unafraid of who we are and our sexuality and, and, and we're not afraid of being a, attractive or of people liking us. Or, but we know how to engage with one another with, with a sense of, of, of care that is unafraid, knowing that hurt happens sometimes, but we're going to be careful with one another. We're going to move to intimacy, that we can be, tell a different story by who we are. That we can be people who move beyond simply what is the easiest thing to do, to be people who move into what is most honoring, who, who use our freedom for the sake of something bigger than simply gratifying our, our desires, but we can be people who can tell a different story, who can begin to lead others into places of real life in which Jesus matters not for someday, but for today and brings Healing that changes the trajectory of who they're going to be in their families. Because maybe they saw something wholly different than what God has intended. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for who you are. Thanks for this word, for um, Paul, for... um, Thanks that we have record of churches that are just messes. That are gong shows. That that are uh, more dysfunctional than we are if that were possible. Um, But because we have that picture, we are able to see uh, life that uh, makes a lot more sense to us because it's real. And it is life that um, 
in which your grace and your truth and your forgiveness were needed as just as much then as we need it now. Lord, I pray that whether we are married or engaged or dating or thinking about it someday, Lord, will you begin to do a work in our life of, of, of healing us, of, of teaching us how to use our freedom, uh, of learning what it means to um, live as one who has been uh, bought, who is not simply on our own. Lord, I pray that as we show a different story, Lord, we, may we also be a people of grace, because this is such a hard area that we don't bring judgment upon the world, but, Lord, we show a better story. Lord, will you do a work in us? Will you do a work in our friends and our family and our co-workers um, and our city? Restore, Lord, your intention, we pray. In your name, amen.